Welcome back to the Lived Experience Project, the narrative storytelling podcast that provides space for conversations to promote awareness and compassionate action. I'm Witty and Nicola. Last episode, we met Mateo, whose pursuit of the American dream led him down a path with many unanticipated gains and losses. In this episode, we meet Angela and learn from her story about the nature of ambivalence and the ironies of love and connection. Mixed stereotypes attached to terms like illegal alien and undocumented immigrant reflect a level of diverse attitude towards immigrant groups. For example, a recent study revealed that stereotyping undocumented immigrants based on positive or negative qualities like warmth and friendliness or aggressiveness produced ambivalent personal attitudes that predicted larger ambivalent attitudes towards immigration policies. Some groups, such as Latin American or Mediterranean immigrants, were seen as less competent but warm. On the other hand, immigrants from Asia were seen as less warm but more competent. Stereotypes like these produce powerful perceptions that ultimately determine policy outcomes. For persons like Angela, however, this ambivalence is more than political. Unlike Mateo, Angela moved to the United States with her mom and dad when she was just four years old. They came from the Philippines so her father could attend college. Over time, however, like 45% of the total undocumented immigrant population who enter the country with visas that allow them to reside in the U.S. for a limited time, Angela and her parents also became overstayers. Shortly after their arrival, Angela's mom gave birth to her younger sister, who, unlike Angela, was a citizen by virtue of being born in the U.S. While her parents attempted to change their status, their options were limited, as was the case with Mateo. When I interviewed Angela, she caught me off guard with what she said. She actually didn't discover her undocumented status until her teenage years. Although I'd heard many stories of so-called dreamers, undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children, I just assumed that Angela would have known about her status throughout her life. I was surprised to hear that she didn't have a clue about it. In fact, she told me she had a relatively, quote, normal childhood that wasn't impacted at all by her lack of legal status until she drew closer to getting her driver's license. When she couldn't provide the proper paperwork to the DMV, she looked to her parents for answers. Here's Angela explaining her reaction to the news. My dad sat me down and used a certain tone of voice to tell me our status was illegal here and that at any time our family could be torn apart. So I was terrified at that point. I was terrified and the first emotion I could think of was anger that came up. That was but like just the driving force behind the rest of that conversation was like me just being angry at like, I don't understand why that is. Well, I don't understand why we came here. I don't understand why we stayed. Why don't we just go back? All these things that just kind of came pouring out. There was so much resentment. And I don't, it was just totally misplaced. It was aimless. I, I was just angry and I don't know who at who, the president, the media for, for painting this country as whatever it was that sold my parents on it and uh, millions of other people. I was like, why, why did I, why does this have to happen to me? I didn't have anything to do with it. Angela was right. She didn't have anything to do with it. She was just a young girl when she was brought to the U.S. by her parents. 
While she wasn't forced, as a four-year-old, she didn't encounter many consequences of her parents' decision. At 16, however, she was finally confronted by them. And she isn't the only one. As of 2012, according to the American Immigration Council, Angela is among 1.8 million immigrants who came to the U.S. as children. While Congress has made numerous attempts to create a pathway to citizenship for these young people, the closest attempt was in 2001. The DREAM Act, short for the Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors Act, was a bill introduced in Congress that would have granted legal status to Angela and others like her. Although several versions of the bill had been introduced in Congress, it has never passed. Most recently, the Obama administration issued a Deferred Action Program, or commonly known as DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, for this group. Although not a path to citizenship, this order allows these young people to reside lawfully in the U.S. without threat of deportation and allows them to obtain a driver's license and employment. When Angela was in high school, there were no such options. Many rites of passage for an American teen, like driving, working, going to college, were unavailable to Angela. Her first and primary emotion when she heard the news, as she described it, was anger. While she didn't seem to have a lot of choices about getting her license or a job, she had at least one choice about how she made sense of her circumstance. Instead of the anticipation and excitement of driving at 16 and going off to college, graduating, and getting a job, she was caught by surprise about her future. Here's Angela explaining more. I remember one time we were in the car. We were trying so many ways for me to get my life. It seemed like, nope, there's no way I'm getting this. I just blew up and I was just like, I don't understand why people love this country so much. And my dad was just really quiet and was just letting me vent. And I remember just so much just anger at that I just wanted to be normal. Because I was already different growing up in that town. I was one of two Asian people, and the other one was my younger sister <laughs> in my entire school. I used that pressure to, to fit in even more. Not just the fact that I looked different physically, but this added extra layer of that my presence here is potentially dangerous to me and it was just like it was just another thing i was like and on top of being a 16 year old girl it was that was just the icing on the cake i was on edge anxious angry walking through the halls of my high school Already feeling different, Angela's attempt to be normal was stifled even further. As far as she saw it, she was living the average teenage American life in every sense of the word. Finding out that she wasn't a citizen, however, gave way to isolation. As she said, her presence was, quote, potentially dangerous to her, meaning that her difference was a barrier to connecting to other people. Because of her status, she was suddenly welcomed into being a true outcast because she couldn't do all that her friends could do. Because it came up regularly during our conversation, I was curious about Angela's anger. While the events of her life took place many years ago, as we spoke, she seemed pretty connected to that time in her life, as though her anger was a close friend. I asked if the people around her noticed that part of her. Here's what she told me. It was very apparent, just because I was an outcast, I feel, just by nature. Socially awkward, anxious. I was really cynical, and that's kind of <laughs> the reputation I built in high school. 
And I was very serious. I'm looking back on it now. The trivial things that I would hear walking down the hallway pissed me off because it was like I was here worrying about these certain things and I'd, I'd come into school and these egocentric teenagers talking about the most trivial things would set me off. And mm-hmm. people would be like, what the hell? Like, why is this girl such a loose cannon? Look at her. She's such a weirdo. Like, why is she so angry and, like, emotional all the time? And they came out in my, I was really involved in all sorts of activities, like art and music. I was in jazz band and in sports. I played sports year-round. But even doing all of those things, I was never able to integrate because of my body language, the way I came off, the things that, you know, I would be interested in talking about or not interested in talking about. People probably felt like they couldn't relate to me. And to be honest, it was probably more because I couldn't freaking relate to them. I feel like in high school, you start to develop survival techniques, coping skills, And for me, that was a lot of art, music, and that's how I ended up becoming very passionate about filmmaking. Angela used the arts as a way of coping with her newly learned undocumented status. But while she did that, she still found herself unable to fully integrate, not just with other people, but within herself. To clarify, even though Angela was angry at her reality, she did understand why her parents came to the U.S. Just listen. It, it made sense. It's a, it suddenly starts to piece together because the reason he gave me was that, well, we wouldn't be much better off at home. He's like, we came here for a specific reason, and it's, it was a lot worse. It was political turmoil. It was safety. It was a better life. It was a third world country. And I understood that. But this reasoning was matched with a different internal reality that was incongruent. On the one hand, Angela had to be grateful for her circumstance because her life could have been much worse off had she lived in her native country. On the other, she felt angry at her undocumented status. This ambivalence, or the simultaneous presence of contradictory feelings, is what Angela had to navigate. In fact, one could argue that her ambivalent internal experience mirrors the larger U.S. population's attitude around the entire undocumented immigration debate. That is, when undocumented immigrants are viewed as positive assets to the U.S., attitudes tend to be favorable. On the other hand, when they're viewed as a threat, attitudes tend to be less favorable. But what if the situation is not either or, but both and? How do we make sense of the positive as well as challenging qualities of a large undocumented immigrant population? Current policy reform efforts reflect division and ambivalence, most apparent in disagreements about mass deportation, the need to build large walls to keep immigrants out, the financial costs of undocumented immigrants on states, and the parameters around, quote, just legislative reform. As I mentioned earlier, it's the personal attitudes about undocumented immigrant that plays a massive role in policy outcomes, which means the greater the emotional ambivalence, the less policy integration. While contrasting ambivalent social attitudes manifest themselves in a lack of policy reform, for Angela, contrasting feelings manifested themselves in uncertainty and confusion, a lack of integration, not just with the outside world, but particularly within her own family. Here she is explaining how she attempted to navigate her feelings. 
Oh, it was crazy. I mean, it was a lot of frustration. I mean, that just played into the whole dynamic of me and my sister. Basically, it was her looking at me being like, you have it so easy because you're the golden girl. And me looking at her being like, you don't understand. Like, it, I would trade, you know, I wouldn't want to trade places with you. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Like, all these things that I'm so, so afraid of. Sucked. I was a senior in high school and my sister was driving me around, you know, having this my sophomore younger sister, but I really didn't have a choice, so. Growing up, I had no one else to relate to, not even my own sister. I mean, for a lot of people, I feel like, you know, if you have two siblings, you have each other to talk about these things, but she had no idea. She had no idea what it feels like ever to be undocumented, and she never will be. Although Angela felt segregated from her friends and sister, the suggestion to marry after she turned 18 added yet another layer of frustration for her. On the one hand, she could marry and potentially get her citizenship, while on the other, she could remain in her current circumstance while still trying to make sense of an uncertain future. During the course of our conversation, though, Angela revealed to me that she was gay and marriage wasn't a realistic option. In fact, marrying would have created tensions on deeper emotional levels for her, far beyond the cognitive. I asked her whether or not it was something she had still considered, or if it was mostly pressure from those around her. She admitted she had considered it, but that it would have gone against her very being. As she talked about that time in her life, I could sense a different tone in Angela's voice. Even though she still expressed some anger, the tone was one that seemed much less conflicted and more cohesive. It's as though the anger at the confusion and powerlessness she felt over this circumstance as a 16-year-old was transformed into some form of agency that fueled her life decisions. Here she is again. It's also not just that, you know, I am gay. It's also I am a masculine-presenting woman. If I were to marry, I always joked, I was like, if I were to marry one of my friends, like, no one would believe it. Just by looking at me. Obviously, that has no legal standing. Uh, someone would have to argue that <laughs> in a court of law, which would be very difficult. But me, I would, I've already been paranoid my entire life that I was, no way, I'm not going to put on a, a wedding dress and parade around and during the interview be like, yeah, you know, I, I, I love him so much. I know we, we know everything about each other. Like, that was another thing that was deterring me from it was just because I was like, I, I mean, I, and I didn't even come out until like my senior year of college, but even before then, I, I could feel myself having an emotional aversion to just marrying someone for my papers. And it was, you know, pre-gay marriage, so that wasn't even legal in all 50 states yet. That that was it, and that culminated in exactly that. It was just a big fuck you to everybody. It it it, play, it was like I was like a walking like dried up bird's nest. I was wound up so tight. And it was like me being angry at the system because they're going to make me marry a man. <laughs> me <laughs> mad at that, that it wasn't even possible for me to marry a woman if I wanted to go that route and come out and have that whole set of things. And yeah, it was me also just dealing with wanting to find love at that point, like a normal person. Aside from all of this, I was trying to find, gosh, find some sort of reprieve in that. That was the hopeless romantic in me getting a little bit. As I tried to make sense of her story, I wondered how an undocumented gay woman could not be angry at the proposal to marry. 
On one level, she would betray her social and political stance. On another, she would betray her sexual orientation. And on yet another level, she would betray her desire for an organically formed romantic relationship, all of which, through her anger, she was protecting. In Angela's case, the holding of two or more opposing emotions seemed like a tug of war, tensions that changed over time. Between the need to be grateful for being in the U.S. and anger at being undocumented, to longing to fit in and connect while feeling isolated, to a desire to marry for love while feeling pressured to betray her sense of self, Angela's story reflects well the lived human experience, fluctuating and often confusing. It's no wonder comprehensive immigration reform hasn't been passed. As she continued to share her story, I sensed there was one thing, unlike the other details of her life, that held no ambivalence, but only certainty and stability. And that was her relationship with her wife. Here's Angela again. When she comes into my life, she, it's, uh, it's an explosion. That's the only way that I can really describe it even now and even then words absolutely fail because so many of these things come together and this is why this is why this person is so important in my life it's so she comes along and that hopeless romantic in me is on cloud nine it's like thank you universe i'm on my knees for you for bringing such an amazing person in my life she's totally stable and She's also the first person that would listen to me and was validated that. Was like, oh, okay, that that's okay, you know. It also taught me that two things can be true at the same time. And it was like all this like totally like revolutionary stuff in my mind where I was meeting somebody that just finally makes me feel like a human being. I don't have to make excuses. She just listened and then really just accepted that and told me, was like, oh, that's okay. That's totally okay. It wasn't just that I met somebody who was the, the particular person that I met. So if anyone was going to be understanding of my legal standing and the thing, and how that's affected my life up until this point, it was her. Undoubtedly, Two opposing things can be true at the same time. While there may be a push and a pull, anger and gratitude, insecurity and acceptance, and love and hate can coexist. While these experiences are universal, they are also very personal. Even though they may appear as conflicting, emotional tensions are valuable in offering each of us signposts towards a need for greater connection. As for Angela, the anger she felt toward her undocumented status revealed a clear desire to be understood, accepted, connected, and loved. Her common human experience mirrors well the experiences of ambivalence we all share. To hear the ambivalence of an undocumented immigrant like Angela is to also hear and understand the ambivalence within each of us. It's in this very ordinariness that Angela shows us why she, and others like her, are already citizens of this nation. What's most ironic about her story is that a solution not directed at undocumented immigrants at all, but at same-sex marriage, is what resolves her status. 
as she integrated her partner's care and compassionate regard for the tensions she's held for so long, I wonder if perhaps it was their shared oppressive struggle that helped her to finally feel connected, accepted, and loved. <laughs> 